Good morning, Al. Hey, good morning. Good morning, everyone. It's another lovely, lovely day. Man, this is a top 10 day. <laughs> a day from the top shelf. It's a top shelf Tuesday. So. Yeah. yeah. The only thing, you know, it can't be perfect. My cereal wasn't supposed to have a prize in the box, but there was a <laughs> free multicolored Asian lady beetle swimming in the milk <laughs> in my bowl. So it, you know, it gets warm, they come out in the house. You don't see them at all, but... We have a cat, and the cat sees them, and all of a sudden she's looking at the ceiling, and I look up there long enough, and sure enough, here's a lady beetle up there. She can spot that movement, and they I don't know why. They, they love to get in my tea, so that's where cool. I usually find them. But this one, and it, if you've had any experience with these beautiful, they are beautiful insects, but they befoul whatever they get into. Uh, they just... Uh, there's a smell and, yeah. uh, I, and I was, a taste. What does it, it taste it, like, Al? Because I know the smell when you smash one or you crush one, they do have that weird smell. So I've never actually tasted one, but maybe you can tell us, is it uh, delectable? It tastes just like it smells, exactly <laughs> like it smells. Bad. <clears throat> it's it's. You know, there's a reason McDonald's doesn't have them on the menu. They just—it's uh, oh. not good, and and we'd we'd probably all do something similar if we fell into a giant <laughs> uh, cup of hot tea. It'd be the same thing, but it caused me to issue a long, lingering sigh. We all do those on occasion, and I, I was thinking this morning. I went for a walk, and uh, Paul Simon in The Sound of Silence wrote, "Hello, darkness, my old friend. I've come to talk." with you again it's getting lighter the days are longer it's just uh I just, I, that just my spirit jumped I, you know what i did i whistled while i walked for a while which is uh, it was hard to do on some of those days so instead of darkness i came in i talked to the cat and i i talked to that lady beetle in the bowl and i talked to myself in the dark house until light found minnesota uh, the chickadee, when I was out there again, they added extra D's to their call to let me know there was something worth keeping an eye on. They watch for everything because it's definitely a matter of life and death with them. And I was thinking it wasn't very long ago when I went for a walk that I found a dandelion blooming on a short stalk before the cold and snow came for it. And, you know, no software is as impressive as that dandelion blooming in the cold. And I filled the feeders this morning, put some stuff out. You know, you don't need a doctorate in avian nutrition to feed the birds. Francis of Assisi called the animals both wild and tame his brothers and sisters. And I just read, it was, oh, I can't remember. It came out not too long ago. It was the 2022 National Survey of Fishing, Hunting, and Wildlife Associated Recreation. And it was released by the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service. And it shows that hunting and fishing contributed $145 billion. This is going to have some numbers. And if you're like me, $145 billion, I don't know what that is. It's a lot of money <laughs> uh, to the U.S. economy, while wildlife watching contributed $250 billion. Wow. There's 39 million people, so that'd be, we're talking the U.S. population 16 years and older. 15% of the U.S. population, 39 million people, fish, recreational fishing. 
14 million people, that's 5.5% of the U.S. population, hunted, and over 148 million people took part in wildlife watching. So that's roughly 57% of Americans 16 years of age or older are out there looking at wildlife. And I'm one of the select group of 96 million, we get together, have our meetings and everything, 96 million people who observed, fed, photographed, or otherwise enjoyed the company of birds in 2022. That's over 35% of the nation's population, again, age 16 and over. So that's a hunk of folks. Yeah. So I'm, I'm proud to be in their company. I saw a brown creeper. It could have been mistaken for bark, albeit albeit a piece of moving bark as it climbed a tree trunk. And the well-camouflaged songbird climbs a tree from the bottom to the top like a lineman for the county as it hunts for insects, probing into crevices with its slender down-curved bill. Uh, Rick Draper of Albert Lee sent me a wonderful video of hooting great horned owls, and I've been hearing them here at night. And again, um, they do a who's awake, me too. And the male is a little bit smaller, but his voice is deeper. Tim Scott sent me something, uh, Tim sent me something from the New York Times, and it says this spring, for the first time since 1803, that was a while ago, <laughs> Two cicada groups known as Brood 19, or the Great Southern Brood, and the, the key there is the Great Southern Brood, not the Great Minnesota Brood, and Brood 13, or the Northern Illinois Brood, again, Northern Illinois Brood, not the Minnesota Brood, are set to appear at the same time in what is known as a dual emergence. And the last time the Northern Illinois Brood's 17-year cycle lined with the Great Southern Brood's 13-year period, Thomas Jefferson was president. And after this spring, it'll be 221 years before the Broods, which are geographically adjacent, appear together again. So, folks, if you're into cicada, this will be the year to head down south a ways to see them. We Again, we don't get the 13 or the 17 year here, but it's still fun to uh, pay attention to. We just get Tim, the yearly uh, one, the annual ones, right, that just come out every year. So they're, if they're more one year, do. it just happens to be that just a a banner of a year if there's a lot more, right? Isn't that kind of the way it works? Right, and uh, I'm okay with that. I like cicadas, but boy, I I still remember being (laughs) in a place leading a walk, and uh, oh gosh, it'd be the 13 year, I suppose. You couldn't, I couldn't I could talk, it just nobody could hear me. All you could hear were those cicadas when we got under trees, so it was it was, it was amazing. Uh, Tim also added we have a six-point buck stealing my bird with lots of does also eating, flocks of 60 goldfinches and pine siskins coming to my feeders at times during the day, countless squirrels. He sent me a thing also from Field and Stream saying, where do deer sleep? Yeah, you think about that. They don't have the the mattress place. They don't have a slumber <laughs> land or somewhere to go get a bed. Oh, tall grass is good. So CRP, goldenrod patches, marsh, prairie grasses, where they they can see above or through the grass for things, but still can have a nap. Uh, conifers, they like 
dense, low-growing pine or pine thickets or cedar groves. Any flat spot on a slope is a comfortable place to rest and watch for danger. Blowdowns, uh, thick fence row, tree line, hedgerow, river, creek banks along a natural travel corridor. So I guess, you know, pretty much the places where we'd think they were yeah, would sleep there. I'd yeah. like to add that they. I have found them sleeping under my deck, um, right next to the house too. I a uh, mother fawn and her oh, baby yeah. fawn. I guess they felt that was a safe place until I guess we chased them away. <laughs> you never see them chepe- checking into like Motel Six no. or anything um, like that. So, but deck, I suppose that would be the closest as they would come to something like that. So they must really like you or trust you. Well, I think because you know my place is surrounded so much by so many plants and shrubs and things too. Maybe they they thought it was the woods. I don't know. Yeah, it's um, they are beautiful. Um, you know, I just uh, it, it's hard. Gosh, it's hard. Minnesota winters are just hard on critters. Uh, Roger Davidson sent a, a lovely article from the Washington Post, and it's based on eBird reports. This is where people can, whatever they see every day, they can put on this eBird, and it goes into this giant number factory where you can look in there and see where people are seeing birds, as the addresses and everything. And from 2012 to 2022 is what these eBird reports encompass. And, but you can enter the city's name, and it'll show the sightings of birds and how they're doing. So I put Mankato in there. I typed it, and I got the spelling right the first time and everything. <laughs> it was quite a – I had to take a break and just uh, – if, if it was based on if I went birding for one hour over two kilometers – and Mankato was down during that period of time. Red-winged blackbirds were down 12%, grackles 10%, robins 7%, goldfinches 15%, barn swallows 14%, starlings down 27%, morning doves 12%, mallards 15%, rock pigeons 32%. Oh, but there is, is there something that's gone up? You bet. Canada geese Mm. up 13%. So that's the one. And boy, if you drive Highway 14, you're going to see Canada geese somewhere as you go through Mankato. And it's, um, I like Canada geese, but boy, I wish a lot of the other numbers were going up. Uh, Kathy Paulson. Kathy lives in Geneva. Uh, She said she and her husband Daryl went for a drive to Clarks Grove, Ellendale, and Beaver Lake. That is a uh, a classic drive right there. She said we saw 40 deer or more. It was fun to see them. Uh, the girls gave Daryl a peanut feeder for the squirrels for Christmas. It's taken this long for the squirrels to figure out how to raise the cover. So she has some slow squirrels in the yard there. Uh, Daryl finally put a small branch under the lift-top cover, and now they have figured out how to get at the peanuts. So <laughs> my squirrels would have figured that out. Yeah. I have... I have, like, the nuclear physicists of squirrels here. They would have said, yeah, that's, give us something that's complicated. And, Karen, you sent me something about bees. Um, and it was bees become charged with a weak electric charge when they're flying through the air. 
Yep. I'm sure we've all had that happen to us, too, when we've flown through the air. This is an interesting thing. It was a, uh, We have this listserv for the Master Gardeners, and somebody put this thing about this study about how bees, there's this electric charge that they exchange with uh, polony, um flowers or things. And so I don't know if you had heard that before, but it got a lot of interest online. I, I have heard a little bit, and I'll kind of... Uh, put it in. Well, I'll put it in my words. Yes, that's all I have. <laughs> I guess um, they again they become charged with this weak electric charge when flying through the air. And how this occurs, I don't think it's completely clear. But there were a couple theories. One is it's a result of friction just flying through the air, and the other is that it the a flying bee picks up these positively charged ion particles from the air. And the static electric charge that builds up on a bee's body while it's flying increases its pollen-collecting efficiency. Well, how could that be? uh, Flowers are electrically connected to the earth, so they pick up a negative charge through, boy, is it electrostatic induction? And Well, anyway, the attraction of pollen to bees due to their opposite polarity allows pollen to defy gravity moving against the Earth's gravitational forces in order to stick to the body of the bee. So I guess I could uh, sum it up in one it's, it's one word, amazing, that these kind of things happen. It's just, and the, the bee thinks nothing of it, just says, yeah, no, that's the way things are. So it's incredible, and I heard from a fellow the other day was saying that it's impossible for it's an old thing that goes around that bumblebees shouldn't be able to fly the way they're built and everything. They shouldn't be able to even get off the ground. But, you know, nobody's told the bee that. You know, the bumblebee. D- when I've been watching these football games for the finals, sometimes these linebackers, I feel like they shouldn't be able to run either, <laughs> given the way their bodies oh, are. <laughs> they're big boys. <laughs> I watched a, a fella play, and he had to have been a, a, a quite a football player. I watched him play softball this year. And I don't know what he weighs, three bills, I would guess, like that. And yeah. yet he can run around the bases pretty well. He doesn't always have to run around the bases because he hits the ball so far that uh, I think some of them are still waiting to come down. But when he needs to run, he runs. <laughs> and he was playing out in the outfield. And I thought, how is it possible a guy that big and so muscular um, – you all know maybe you have somebody in a family that's really into weightlifting, mm-hmm. and they get to the point where I don't know how they get into their pockets to yeah. get, like, car keys or something. Right. Out. It's just so muscular, and that's how this guy was. But, man, he, he didn't run like a deer, but he ran really, really fast. I, I was very impressed with the fella. I, a, a listener said, uh, just, oh, it's right getting to the end, uh, bees. Are bees able to see the color red? Uh, they see reddish wavelengths of yellow and orange, but they really don't see red is what I've learned. Hmm. And that means they aren't naturally attracted to red. Uh, the most likely colors to attract bees supposedly are purple, violet, blue, and yellow. Uh, but on the other hand, hummingbirds find the color red to be just, oh, it's amazingly enticing. It, the red is it for them. Uh, Baltimore Orioles enjoy orange, goldfinches prefer yellow, and bluebirds and blue jays are drawn to the color blue. What does that all mean? 
Well, Orioles, goldfinches, bluebirds, and blue jays like themselves. <laughs> they like others like themselves. So if they see that color, they're going for it. I, uh, it's. I think it also means, Al, that if you want to attract all of them, you need to just plant a just a every color of flower that you can imagine in your yard, which is what I do because I like all of those things. That, that's exactly right. And uh, when bees come in, I know some will be saying, oh, I get bees on red flowers. Uh, yeah, because bees, uh, they, have, they have fast vision, if that makes any sense. When we look at a garden, we can't just immediately pick out a flower. We have to kind of concentrate looking at that. Otherwise, we'll just see, you know, here's, there's 500 mm-hmm. flowers there. The bee is able to see each flower individually, so they can see all these things. And then if they get in the garden, they're going to get on all kinds of flowers. But they're attracted to purple, violet, blue, and yellow are the primary colors that they like. That's just the way their, their eyesight works. So I don't know if they were drivers. They'd probably have problems with the whole uh, traffic light system (laughs) where they'd be going at the wrong time. And uh, it just, you know what they'd do? They'd just stop at the yellow and just stay at the yellow until it changes because they like yellow. So they would hang in there. And uh, so they'd be going at the wrong times. And we've all been behind somebody. We've probably all been that person at some time going at the wrong time, but it's uh, it's what how life is, I guess. Uh, why do acorns have hats? A listener asks. Uh, you know, I'm, when I'm picturing an acorn with like a big cowboy hat or a sombrero or something, or the, the top of an acorn that resembles a hat, a cap, or a beret, it's called a Oh, it's C-U-P-U-L-E, I believe is what it's called. It's a tough outer shell that can be prickly, rough, scaly, or even smooth. And why is it there? It's like a football helmet. It adds extra protection for the delicate embryo inside the kernel. So it is, if you think of it as a safety helmet, that's what it is. It's a safety helmet for acorns. And uh, you got to remember, a lot of them are dropping to the ground, and uh, it's probably bouncing around for a while, so they probably need a little bit of that. Say, Al, uh, I've, got, a, I've yeah. got busy, busy traffic here on the texting machine today. Oh, cool. Is it okay before we get to the end of the show, but we oh, go through please. some? Okay. Please. Well, this is from Jeff in Janesville. He said, "Hey Jeff. Uh, yeah, he hasn't. I haven't heard from him in a while. But he it was uh, in Janesville. He saw a red-shouldered hawk yesterday by Eagle Lake. If there is such a bird, I love the red-tailed yep. hawks. It seems I just heard someone talking about them. Or do red-tailed hawks have red shoulders? Or did I hear it wrong? Or was it maybe a dream? I realize <laughs> that as you get old, sometimes you need a little bit of help with your memory. So Al, was it just a bad dream? Help me out. I know you can." <laughs> Well, thanks, Jeff. Yeah, you know, I I teach writing for younger folks, and uh, I tell them to write everything down because their memories are far from perfect. So I don't know if it's just uh, older. uh, We have more things to remember probably as we get older, and we're not able to empty those files that know like our junior high locker combination that stays in our mind it it just won't go away and we we'd like that it would but it doesn't 
But I tell kids to write everything down, write it down immediately, because you won't remember it in a couple of days. Uh, red-tailed hawks are the ones that we see most often here. Uh, they have, they're larger, they're bulkier, I guess would be a polite way to put it, than the red-shouldered hawks. And when they're perched, red tails don't show the orange breath that red shoulders have. So red shoulders would be a medium-sized hawk in comparison, a slim body, a, a relatively, a fairly long tail. And their wings are broad, somewhat square at the tips when soaring. And adults have extensively reddish-brown underparts. And then on the tail, the tail and flight feathers, Jeff, are banded, so they have a black and white bands. Uh, the red tails do not have that, and not all red tails have red tails. The young ones, it takes them a while to get those red tails, and the red tail, again, is the one that we see. They look like uh, footballs perched on a, a utility pole or something like that, but um, so you could, I uh, hope you saw that. So the, I would add that the red tail is more likely, Jeff, but uh, that would be the only thing I would add to that. And Michael 100 says, we were just chatting about the electrical charge with bees, and he says, it's just like electrostatic painting, and electrostatic painting uses positively charged paint particles from a specialized gun to coat grounded metal surfaces and it says, like a balloon clinging to a wall, it's attracted to the grounded surface and will wrap around the components, such as fence posts. The results in an even coat with little overspray and waste. So it's apparently a technique that we as humans have adapted from nature, perhaps. Boy, that is great, Michael. You are so smart. We have the smartest people on Earth listening, so I, I appreciate that, Michael. And I, I knew... Uh, I, I, you know, I know the balloons, you rub it on your head and then you stick it on the ceiling or something like that for uh, kids' parties and stuff. Or but, make your hair stand yeah. up. <laughs> it does. Yeah. But, boy, thanks, Michael. That, that, that helped a lot, and I really appreciate that. Okay, here's one from our friend Jennifer and Lily. She says, hello, ma'am. Please ask the bird guy about imprinting. Will any baby bird imprint upon the first creature it sees? My husband once had to convince a fluffy pile of ducklings that he was not their mother... I tried to convince him that he was. I would have happily given up my bathtub for those little fluffer butts. She says, thank you, Jennifer and Lily. And she, and then she says, how in the heck does the bird guy know what he, what colors bees can see? <laughs> so, <laughs> I, I hang around with a lot of bees. I was in the doctor's office the other day that uh, specializes in me and bees. So it's pretty much me and bees in there. I, uh, I grew up with uh, a lot of... Uh, uh, there was a goose who just followed me around. Uh, it just thought I was its mother or father or something. So that goose and geese are noted for imprinting. And I think waterfowl, maybe, uh, there's a, if you have, uh, say, baby robins or something, you feed them. For a while, you are their mother, but after a bit, I think they kind of figure out that, you know, it's just, I'm, that's not my real mom there, so they're going to move on. Geese and maybe some other waterfowl are very much into imprinting. I raise baby chicks a lot through the years. 
uh, did they ever really think I was their mom? You know, for a little <laughs> while probably, but pretty soon they figured, you know, we are something much cooler than whatever that guy is. So uh, we're chickens, which is a, so will birds implant? Uh, imprint. Yeah, uh, <laughs> Or imprint, yeah. They probably will for a little while, but a lot of them will figure it out and move on. I don't think that goose ever did. Uh, I should mention that birds of prey species are, they will imprint. So uh, really? I'm involved with a, um, uh, a raptor uh, the American Bald Eagle Foundation. So some of the birds that we get in there that we use as education birds have imprinted, and so they can't really go out in the wild because oh. they'll be landing on somebody's head or something. But ducks, geese, uh, turkeys, uh, crows, ravens, blue jays, I think they say penguins even will, hmm. and chickens, again, probably some of them will. So those are the ones that will imprint they're most likely to imprint, not implant. That's a good point. So, <laughs> so you should probably not have them, want, you don't want to make them imprint because then they won't be able to go back out and probably be safe in their surroundings, I would assume. That's right. You know, unless it's a, a domestic goose or turkey or a duck or something that you want following you around all day, because that's what the goose did. I would drive into the yard coming back from somewhere, and she recognized my car, and she would just come running, oh. flapping her wings, and uh, wait for me to get out. And then uh, it, geese talk all the time, so she's telling me everything that went on while I was gone. And uh, it was nice to have somebody so happy to see, I will say that, but, you know, it just... Ah, I don't know. It felt. I said, "Get a life." You know, here's another. Here's another goose. Go, go do something. But no, she was. Um, she was a. She was a lovely creature and enhanced my existence. I've got one more from our friend John in New Walm. Almost comedy by John. Good news. He got an award. Bad news. It was for spilling twenty ounces of coffee in my car. He said, "I accepted the award with a bit of anger and dehydration." Guess I had a thrill and a spill, John. Oh, <laughs> well, I hope it wasn't scalding and got on you or anything <laughs> like that. I, that's, I guess that's why I don't drink coffee. I prefer to spill tea with lady beetles in it on me. So, Good one. hey, man, you are the best listeners on earth. I appreciate all of you. Um, thanks for sitting on the front porch with us. I hauled 325 books to the library bookstore the other day. That's right. I counted them. I count birds and things. I had to count them. My grandmother on my mother's side was a teacher, and my grandfather built homes and furniture at a, a company. And one came to this country from Sweden, my grandma, and the other from Germany. So they both spoke, one spoke Swedish and one spoke German. They could both speak English. Neither one understood the other one when they were speaking their native language. So they got along great. Grandma had books galore. And when she died, her daughters, my mom was one of those, uh, in their grief, gave her books away willy-nilly. Just anybody wanted a book, you know, the library needed a book, whoever needed a book, they gave one to. 
And later they learned that Grandma had saved emergency or mad money by using paper money as bookmarks. Oh. (laughs) So I thought, could this be a genetic thing? So I checked all my books before giving them away, and I wasn't surprised to learn that there were no bills (laughs) acting as bookmarks. (laughs) Hey, thanks, everybody, for listening. Uh, Do something wild today. Get out there and look at a bird. Remember Heartland as well. We're driving past. Thank you, Karen. I just appreciate you. Um, Tuesdays with Karen is a wonderful thing. Well, I always appreciate you too, Alan. It's it's great to chat with you. I don't get too hot now with all this big uh, heat wave we're having, and I guess the birds are happy about it because they're coming out and chirping again too. They're whistling like I was when I was walking. This yeah. Morning. <laughs> Thanks, Al. You take care. Yep. Bye bye.